Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ineptus Astartes. Episode 1, actually, despite it being another episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thanks for your intended interest in Horus Heresy. Um, I want to start off by thanking everyone who watched uh, the last episode and who emailed in to ineptusastartus30k at gmail.com. That feedback was really awesome, and the questions were great as well. It was really nice to see the support because, obviously, this was something I you know hadn't really considered doing before. So it was really nice to read your words, and thank you for, so much for that. Oh, uh, shoot. I'm so sorry. Um, I got to take this call. One second. <clears throat> Hello, this is the Ineptus Astartes Helpline. Ned speaking. Oh, yes. Um, thank you so much for calling back. Hold on a sec. Can I get that name again? Veteran Squad. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Yeah, I've got it. I'm looking at your file right now. Yep. Sure, yes. Your complaint is why we called... Oh, okay. Um, sure. Yeah, uh, I can read this. So you have... Uh, you have your bolter and your pistol. You got your standard grenades. You got your power armor. Um, special rules. So you, you've got Legionus Astartes, of course. Relentless and chosen warriors. Wow, that's that's good. Hmm? Oh, um, yes. Unit type. Um, infantry. Uh, and sergeant, the veteran sergeant uh, infantry character. And that's it. Excuse me? Line? Oh. Oh, yeah, you don't have that. Oh. Please, sir. Please. Please, sir. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to calm down. Yes, I know. Yes. Yes, I know. Well, it is a new addition, sir. And these things are going to change. Sir, it is the company's policy that we have the right to make certain changes when... Oh, no, they didn't ask me what I thought. That's, that's not the point. Sir, a vast majority of units lost access to scoring through their rights of war. You still get scoring of in, uh, let's see, Pride of Legion, if you're the compulsory choices. Well, I don't think I like your tone. Sir, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to terminate this conversation. No. No, sir, I'm sorry, but you need to listen to me. This change, while dramatic, has pretty evenly affected all units and playstyles. You're far from the only one. Lots of other units showed up to work today like normal and are doing their jobs. Look, there's going to be some natural friction in a new rule set, and you've lost some things that you've gained also. Chosen Warriors and Weapon Skill 5 is no joke in this edition. And two wounds! You've got two wounds now. A model. It's huge. I think you need to take some time to think about this. And, you know, come on in when you're ready. We can talk about this. I mean, did you hear that? You can probably hear that the terror assault right of war showed up and just rolled with the punches. Hey. Hey, terror squad. Night Raptors. Love that attitude. 
I just love those guys. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry for that. That wasn't very professional, but back to it. The main topic today is going to be the line rule and how that impacts and affects your list building. Line is a new rule and only units that have access to line count as scoring units. What this means is that if there are, is any mission in which you have to hold an objective, you need to, and you need to get a scoring unit to a certain position, only those units with line count, which is, which is big. It's a huge change. In the previous edition, for those who've been here before, um, you know, in Horus Heresy 1.0, any troop was a scoring unit. And so there were all these rights of war that manipulated troop choices and allowed you to take, you know, X unit here as a troop. And it was one of the things that helped make all these different legions pretty fluffy and unique in their own way. But now that's changed a lot. You can still take a lot of these things as troops, which is excellent because, um, you know, the, there are six troop choices available in the standard Force Org chart, but you're still going to have to take some of the other stuff, probably, because you're going to need to make sure you've got at least a few line choices in your army. In the past edition, I think I've said this before, who knows, um, I used to try to take try to take two line or, or scoring choices, I'm sorry, roughly for every thousand points. So usually I would end up with four or five, uh, maybe six, but not usually, didn't usually get to six in a in a 3,000 point game. That's going to be different this edition, I think. I haven't decided what, how that's going to change. Um, I'm just starting to build lists myself, but that's what we're looking at right now. So this will be the first in what will just be a couple episode segments where we go over all of the choices that are inherently available to all players that actually possess the line rule. And to start off today, I'm going to be comparing the Legion Tactical Squad with the Legion Despoiler Squad. Um, both are very similar, and essentially there's, well, there's, there's a lot of difference in function because of a couple different variations and rules, but otherwise pretty darn, pretty darn similar. Okay. So the Legion Tactical Squad and the Despoiler Squad have identical stat lines to start with. The standard Legionaries all have movement 7, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness 4, 1 wound each, initiative 4, 1 attack each, 7 leadership, and a 3 plus save. The sergeants in both of those squads gain 1 more leadership, up to leadership 8, and they gain 1 more attack to 2 attacks apiece. The squad for 100 points comes with 10 guys, one sergeant and nine legionaries. Um, each of the squads have the rules infantry and line, and the sergeants all have character and line. War gear and special rules is where they start to diverge, but even there, it's not by much. Uh, war gear, they all both have bolt pistols, power armor, frag grenades, and crack grenades. The difference is that the tactical squad has a bolter, which is the uh, standard Space Marine weapon. It's a 24-inch rapid-fire weapon, which means at 12 inches you can shoot twice, while the despoiler squad instead has a chainsaw, which is a melee weapon. Um, it counts as an extra close combat weapon to pair with your bolt pistol, so they will get one additional attack. They will also get shred, which allows them to reroll failed wounds when in close combat. 
Special rules, both squads get Legionis Astartes, which allows you to get access to the unique stuff from whatever Legion you're playing, and they both get Heart of the Legion. Now, I hadn't really looked at the Despoiler squad before this, and for some reason I didn't realize that they have Heart of the Legion as well. Heart of the Legion gives both of these squads an extra bit of survivability because it gives an additional a plus one to existing feel-no-pain rolls if they have it through an apothecary. Um, and what that means is that and I suppose I should say that's if they're next to an objective or near an objective. But that means that you have a lot of additional survivability when you're close to an objective, which is really important because both of these squads, unless you're, well, we'll talk about options later, but um, most of the time you're taking these squads because you need to be on objectives and you want your units to survive. So this is a fantastic rule for both of these squads. If you attach an apothecary to these squads and you happen to be near an objective, you're going to be getting a four plus feel no pain after your armor save, which means that, you know, you've got a three plus save standard against whatever is attacking you, unless it's a high AP weapon or low AP, I suppose. And then after your three plus save, you might end up getting yourself a four plus uh, feel no pain on top. So your average tactical marine or despoiler marine, they're going to stick around a lot longer. Both of these squads can take a rhino transport if they have no more than 10 uh, models. And of course, as dedicated transports, these do not take up additional, additional space in your force org chart. Both of these squads, you have uh, a t plus 10 points for every additional legionary, so you can have bigger squads than 10. They can both take a Nuncio Vox for 10 points. You can take an, an Augury Scanner or a Lex Legion Vexilla for 10 points as well. So first, um, I wanna talk about these options. I wanna start with the Nuncio Vox. Both squads can take one for 10 points. And the Nuncio Vox is a piece of equipment um, and it says, while at least one model with a Nuncio Vox is present on the battlefield and not embarked, in a vehicle or a building, the controlling player may reroll any scatter rolls made, whether as part of a weapon attack or the deployment of a model or unit, as long as the model with the Nuncio Vox has line of sight to the target by the attack, uh, targeted by the attack, or the point chosen by the target of the deployment. In addition, the unit that includes at least one model with a Nuncio Vox ignores the minus one penalty to leadership imposed by the night fighting rules. Okay. So there, this is a situational piece of war gear, but it will really shine in a couple of different situations. So if you're playing in night fighting, ignoring that minus one to leadership is a good, uh, it's a good thing. If you're going to be playing a legion that uses a lot of indirect fire or artillery, this is also going to be an excellent piece of war gear. Or if you are going to try to deep strike and deploy next to one of these units, so this is a forward unit like a tactical squad or despoiler squad, it still might be a good uh, thing for you to, to bring. Uh, however, if you are not deep striking, or if you're not using artillery, I'm not sure that this is worth it at 10 points. Minus one leadership from night fighting is a huge debuff, but is it really enough to make it worth 10 points? I would say this one is situational, but definitely worth considering. So the next piece of war gear is uh, the Augury Scanner, which is available to both of these squads also for 10 points apiece. And it says that a model in, that includes at least one unit with an Augury Scanner gains all these following benefits. Enemy units cannot be deployed using the Infiltrate Special Rule 
within 18 inches of a model with an Augury scanner. So you have an 18 inch radius circle, uh, 36 inch diameter bubble around that unit with an Augury scanner where infiltrators cannot get to. A unit that includes at least one model with an Augury scanner ignores the 24 inch limit to line of sight when making shooting attacks while the night fighting rules are in effect. There are multiple impacts of the night fighting rule. Uh, one is a leadership debuff, and another is the 24-inch uh, limit to shooting line of sight. The, other, the third one is a minus one to ballistic skill. Of all of them, I think the 24-inch limit to the line of sight is the most brutal because all of your long-range shooting is shot down. And essentially... On most board edges where there's roughly 24 inches of dead no-man's land in between your deployment zone and your opponent's deployment zone, unless they have something up on the front of the line and you do too, you're probably not shooting that turn. You're going to have to move into no-man's land and shoot whatever's closest to the edge. So if your opponent is hoping to utilize uh, night fighting for their advantage, you might be out of luck. This is a huge, huge boon. But the last one is perhaps the most bizarre and potentially overpowered or overpowering when an enemy unit is deployed to the battlefield from reserves this means rolling on from reserves this means deep strike assaults this means subterranean assaults or flanking a unit that includes at least one model with an augury scanner may make the interceptor advanced reaction without expending a point of the reactive player's reaction allotment this does not allow the unit to make more than one reaction per phase but does allow the controlling player to exceed the three normal reactions limit in a given phase. Okay. For the core rules, you are limited to basically three reactions a turn, one per phase, and you will take a Warlord trait that will allow you to do one more. So if you are lucky enough to have uh, a Warlord that gives you an additional reaction in the movement phase, which is when this takes place, then you can intercept twice. Or you can spend 10 points on every squad that has access to them, and a lot of squads have access to these, and you can shoot anything that comes onto the board. This is... I, I have not played much with the new Deep Strike rules, so I'm not quite sure what to think about this, but it feels very, very potent. The first question you're going to ask is, is 10 points worth it for this piece of war gear? Okay? 10 points is the cost of a Marine. If you use your Augury Scanner and intercept and kill one Marine in the response, then you have made back the points of this Augury Scanner. That's it. That's all you needed to do to this point. Uh, you can shoot at everything, essentially. And it doesn't, it doesn't cap. It doesn't say you can only do it a couple times. It doesn't say that only three squads can use the Augury Scanner a turn. So you essentially can have everything shoot when somebody comes in. Uh, it's like a free shooting phase, potentially. Now, admittedly, it's going to price up. If you're getting at, like, seven units or whatever, you're looking at, like, you know, 70 points to get this option. But still, it's an unbelievably powerful thing to do. It's going to be something to watch uh, going forward. But is it worth on a tactical squad or a despoiler squad? I would say probably not on a despoiler squad, but it's definitely worth considering on a tactical squad. I mean... Bolters aren't great, but they're not nothing. And I think being able to shoot at something that's dropping in on you, because 
if you're standing on an objective with a tactical squad, people are going to consider deploying something to jump on you and take you out, you know, because they're going to need you off that objective. So getting a free shooting attack, it, I mean, peeling off one or two wounds, that could end up swinging the balance in the number of attacks that can come at you by the end of the combat. It's just something worth considering. Okay, the last of these upgrades then is the Legion Vexilla. And the rules state that any unit that includes at least one model with a Legion Vexilla adds plus one to the wound score used to determine if they win a combat in the assault phase. In addition, a unit that includes at least one model with a Legion Vexilla may, before any dice are rolled to determine fallback distance, choose to fall back only a distance equal to the roll of a single D6 instead of a 2D6, or 3D6 if a cavalry unit, and if forced to move off the edge of the battlefield will stop instead moving with any model that would have been moved off the battlefield ending its fallback move prematurely when it reaches one inch from the edge of the battlefield. Okay, this is another three-part bonus, and I think this one is also very excellent and probably will be an auto-include, especially on your bigger squads. Plus one to the wound score in Assault is, is good. I've played only a handful of games of second edition so far, but in each of those games, I have run into combats that tied. And a plus one would tip it one way or the other, and suddenly your opponent is taking leadership tests and potentially falling back and potentially being swept, or, you know, you are, you know, bringing it to a tie or whatever else. It's, it's a really good rule. The other thing is the ability to limit the distance that you fall back is also really, really advantageous. It can prevent you from running um, you know, too far to get back to an objective if you're able to rally. It can prevent you from running out of a saved spot um, into the line of fire from other units. There's lots of things. Basically, anything that gives you extra control over movement is really, really, really good. So I highly recommend it. The last thing is perhaps the best, in my opinion. It prevents you from running off the board you immediately end your fallback move prematurely when you reach one inch from the edge of the battlefield. Leadership has changed this edition, and it's one of the bigger changes. Uh, things are generally, they have, they've got a less leadership. There are more modifiers that are easier to apply in a lot of different ways. You're gonna be taking more pinning tests, and the pinning tests matter now because leadership is lower. You're gonna have units that fall back every game. Being able to prevent an, an oopsie where you run off the board and lose an entire unit because that's what happens when a unit with 15 guys fails a leadership test and they run off the board they're gone you lose all of those points it's just as bad as having had them swept and i think there are enough players who have experienced just that that will think to themselves yes 10 points is well worth preventing that I think this one definitely is an auto-include, and it doesn't feel nearly as broken to me as the Augury Scanner or Game Altering. It just gives you a lot of excellent control and prevents really unfortunate things from happening while you're running away. Okay, now on to just the Tactical Squad for a minute. Uh, every Tactical Marine, any model with a Bolter anyway, has these two options. The first is to add a Bayonet to their Bolter for plus one point each or a chain bayonet for two points each. Now the chain bayonet is uh, two points as opposed to one, so double the point cost, but the bayonet, what it does is it turns your bolter into a two-handed weapon at plus one strength. So you no longer gain or, well, you're stuck with your one, your one attack, but it's at plus one strength. 
For one additional point, the chain bayonet does the exact same thing, but it also gives you the rule shred, which allows you to re-roll wounds. That's huge. And I think the chain bayonet is worth serious consideration. I can't really think of a reason why I would ever be so point-starved that if I was going to get a bayonet, I wouldn't do a chain bayonet. But I'm sure there's a possibility, or maybe some people just like the, the visual variety of it. But the chain bayonet is a good option at two points a model. For a standard squad of 10, you're looking at a 20-point upgrade that gives you uh, shred and a plus one attack, or a plus one wound, I'm sorry, when you're uh, going against other standard marines. Pretty good. The other option is that all legionaries in the same unit may be given chain swords, and that's plus, point, plus five points a model. And chain swords, I think as mentioned previously, it gives, it's an additional close combat weapon, so it will attack or work with the bolt pistol they already have, and now the tactical squads have two attacks apiece and shred, so they're re-rolling wounds. The real discussion here comes down to, is it better to save three points a model, uh, get one more strength, but lose out on an attack, versus getting that additional attack and you know shred to re-roll wounds? And I'm not quite sure where to stand on this. If you want the squad cheap, which I imagine a lot of players are going to, you know, if you're having a full, if you're kidding out a full squad, for 10 points, for 10 models, I'm sorry, 10 chain bayonets is only 20 points. If you've got a full squad, it's 40 points. But for 10 regular marines, five or chain swords are 50 points, and it's an additional 100 points to give a full 20-man squad chain swords. That's a lot of points. And it would be worth it in some situations, especially if you have support or if your Legion rules really benefit it because you get something better on the charge or, you know, the more attacks benefit you, something to that effect. But it's really going to come down to a case-by-case -case basis. And also, you have to think to yourself, what do I want this squad to do? Now, the Despoiler squad gets similar options. Uh, they can replace their chain sword, which they already have, because remember, they do not have a bolter. The Despoiler can replace their Chainsword for a Bolt Pistol, an additional one, for plus one point. So you still get plus one attacks because you've got two close combat weapons, but you lose Shred so you don't get to reroll wounds. Or you can have a Heavy Chainsword for plus two points. Now a Heavy Chainsword is just like a Chainsword except for the fact that it's two-handed, so again you're missing out on an overall attack, but it's plus two strength. So here's the thing about this one. I'm, I'm a little confused about the bolt pistol option. I can't really think of a reason why you'd want to do this because I feel like gaining an additional shot with a bolt pistol in the shooting phase seems a lot worse to me uh, for a trade than uh, losing the reroll wounds in the assault phase. Maybe if you think it's funny to have dual pistol wielding despoiler marines and you're an imperial fist, so you're getting a plus one ballistic skill with those pistols. Maybe. I just can't see the math working out for you. The heavy chainsword is more interesting at two points apiece. The plus two strength is going to do a couple of things, uh, be sort of interesting in a couple different ways. One, uh, it's going to be much more likely that you're going to be able to wound automata or dreadnoughts if you end up in close combat with them uh, with your regular attacks. Strength 6 uh, is, is better on 7, but you're still going to give them a full armor save. Also, you have crack grenades, which you might have want to use anyway also, so 
it maybe it's not that good of a deal in this situation. Now, strength six against other standard infantry, which are usually tough four, means that you go from wounding on a four re-rollable to wounding on a two re-rollable. And this is where things get a little interesting because a two plus, a two plus wound with a re-rollable of ones, re-rolling ones means that you are very likely going to wound with near all of the attacks that you manage to hit with. So if you are a legion um, that gets a bonus to hit in close combat, um, or you know on the charge, uh, like you know for whatever reason, or there's something else going on that buffs this, heavy chainswords become a really interesting option in that way, but not necessarily required. Now again, two points a model for ten guys is like I said before, that's an additional twenty points or forty if you've got a full huge squad. I can't really imagine doing a full 20-person squad of uh, despoilers with heavy chainswords, but someone out there right now is putting them in their uh, Games Workshop cart as we speak because they heard Ned said don't do it, and so they're going to do it. Good for you. Uh, the other thing that you can do uh, for every five models in the unit, uh, one despoiler may exchange their chainsword with a power weapon for five points or a charnable. Uh, weapon for five points and both of those are really good options and I would probably do this for sure uh, for every five models I had in the unit I would definitely take the opportunity to give them a cool saber or power weapon you know flavored to your individual choice the last option that despoilers have um, in addition for every five models in the unit one despoiler may exchange a bolt pistol for one of the following options, a hand flamer for five points, a Volkite Serpenta for five points, or a plasma pistol for 10 points. I'm gonna admit that I have not really looked at the pistol options up to this point. I don't typically rate them, although maybe the Volkite Serpenta is worth taking a look at for five points, but I'm just, I guess I'm just not sure. My main thought is that you are probably not going to fire pistols with these squads more than once at most per game because you are probably going to either jump onto an objective and stand there or you're going to be charging in to your opponent, jumping on them, and then spend whatever is left of the game either in close combat or, or dead. Uh, if that's the case, if you're only going to get one shot with these pistols, is it really worth those extra points? For flair or for, you know, fun, I think definitely. But I would rather spend those extra points on other things, like, like I said, the sabers or, you know, the vexilla or your augury scanner or something to that effect. So that's the end of the differences between the tactical squad and the despoiler squad outside of what their sergeants are able to do. The Tactical Squad Sergeant is able to exchange their bolter for a Magna Combi Weapon or a Minor Combi Weapon. The Magna Combi Weapon is 10 points and the Minor Combi Weapon is only 5. Magna Combi is stuff like Plasma or uh, Melta and then the Minor Combi Weapons is stuff like Volkite, which is super cool. Um, I would consider a Volkite option just because for 5 points on a Tactical Squad it might not be so bad. Now, I just finished saying that I wouldn't consider upgrading pistols. Well, I think this is a little bit different on a tactical sergeant because tactical sergeants are probably going to stay at range at least some of the fight, and they might get more than one shooting attack out of a weapon, so it's worth at least considering. 
The Legion Tactical Sergeant can also take additional options. They can buy a Chainsword for 5 points, a Heavy Chainsword for 10 points, a Power Weapon for 10 points, okay, uh, a Power Fist for 15, or a Lightning Claw for 10. Now, there are a bunch of different Power Weapon options, and the overall gist is that they either eliminate saves on a 3-up or on a 2-up, um, because of their AP values. Tactical, tactically, uh, the power sword is AP 3 with a rend at 6, which means that on a 6+, plus, when you're rolling to wound, it gets rid of AP 2 saves as well. And the power axe is just a flat AP 2, but it's unwieldy, so you wait until the end of the combat to strike. Similar to the power fist, which is, again, also uh, unwieldy, so you strike last, but it doubles your strength, and it's AP 2. So you're going to squish somebody, and it, because it's strength 8, you're probably going to have a good chance to instant kill a character if you run across them. You could also take a Lightning Claw for 10 points, which is strength user, um, AP 3, and it's got Shred and Rend 6+. So I think that's worth taking. As a matter of fact, I guess I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't take this over the Power Sword. Other than, I suppose, the fact that the Lightning Claw is a specialist weapon, which means that you don't get an additional attack on it. So, I guess if you're going to take the Lightning Claw for the same price as a Power Sword, you're going to miss out on one attack, but you're much more likely to wound. So, it's a little bit of a trade-off. One of the things, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, or maybe on a later episode, there's a real discussion to be made about the number of attacks versus the ability to wound. In this edition, with uh, your weapon skill factoring a lot more in your defensive abilities as well, losing out on attacks because of some of these trades on, on weapons might really, really come back to haunt you because you know, you're not going to have as many chances to hit, and then it doesn't matter what your ability you have to wound if you can't land the strike. So moving on, the Legion Tactical Sergeant can exchange their Bolt Pistol for a Plasma Pistol for 10 points, a Volkite Serpenta for 5, or a hand flamer for two. I really don't think I would ever do the Volkite Serpenta or the hand flamer on a tactical sergeant unless I was, I don't know, a salamander, I suppose. The Volkite Serpenta is good, but I would just get a combi weapon and it's a little bit better. The Legion tactical sergeant can exchange their power armor for artificer armor, so move to a two up save. This is good. And they can also take melta bombs for 10 points, and this is also good. Uh, it's up points, I believe, from last edition from 5 to 10 but melta is a little bit stronger now in a couple different ways and also melta bombs are really rare they used to be on all sorts of squads and now it's harder to take them so something worth considering the despoiler squad sergeant gets options as well the despoiler squad sergeant can replace their bolt pistol and or chain sword for one of the following options they can have a Plasma Pistol for plus 10 points, a Hand Flamer for 5 points, a Volkite Serpenta for 5 points, a Heavy Chain Sword for 2 points, uh, a Power Weapon for 10, a Chernable Weapon for 10, a Power Fist for 15, the Lightning Claw for 10, and uh, they can also get Artificer Armor for 10 points and Melta Bombs for 10. So those points are very similar, uh, almost identical for the things that they share. One of the things to note is that because a Legion Despoiler Sergeant can exchange their bolt pistol and or their chainsword. That means that you could have a, a despoiler sergeant with two lightning claws if you so wished. 
seems a little expensive for a one moon model, but for 20 points you could in fact give them two lightning claws. It's a pretty cool idea. Now there's one more thing to talk about for these squads, and that is their special rules. Uh, the, the tactical squad has a rule called Fury of the Legion, and that says that if any model with a special rule has not moved or run during the movement phase of its controlling player's turn, then that model may add one to the number of shots fired when making a shooting attack with a bolter. This does not include combi bolters, bolt pistols, or other bolt weapons. So, bolters only. Well, I talked before about the fact one of the reasons why it might be okay for you to take an upgrade on your sergeant is because you're going to be shooting more often. And this is one of the reasons why you've got those bolters that have a 24-inch range. And if you don't move, then at 24 inches, you can take two shots. No, no, uh, no questions, no no problems, whatever. In last edition, Fury of the Legion was a rule that caused you to empty your bolters if you shot it twice so you couldn't use them the next turn. You can Fury of the Legion every turn in this game if you have something at range to shoot at. This gives you uh, this gives you options. Now again, this, this firepower is not like super impressive. A bolter is only strength four. Most things in legions in the game are gonna be toughness four, so at you know, you're probably looking at like a 50% chance to actually wound and cause an armor save. But when you double the shots you can fire at range outside of 12 inches from, you know, 1 to 2, that's a considerable increase in firepower and a chance to cause your opponent, you know, to, to take a little bit of hurt. Now, if you're going to be standing these fellas on an objective point, maybe you don't need to move them and maybe you do just get them out to the spot where they need to go, and then plan on furying until they get charged. And, and you know, you can cause a little bit of extra hurt, or at the very least, cause an annoyance that your opponent knows they're going to have to deal with. Now, both of these squads gain Heart of the Legion, as I mentioned before, but the Despoiler squad gets a rule called Spite of the Legion, which is really interesting and has a lot of potential for a few different legions. Spite of the Legion says that if a charge is declared for a unit that includes at least one model with this rule, targeting an enemy unit that is pinned, falling back, or includes no models with the character subtype or chosen warrior's rule, then all models in the charging unit gain a bonus of plus one attacks for the duration of the assault phase in which the charge is declared. A couple things to point out. This will give independent characters attached to this unit an additional attack even though they do not have this rule. And it can trigger off of units that are pinned, charging a unit that's pinned, falling back, or includes a model with no character subtype. If you are fighting against a squad whose sergeant has been killed, you get this ability. If you can make somebody fall back and charge them, you get this ability. Or if you can pin someone, you can also get this ability. There are a lot of interesting ways to cause pinning in this edition. And so you can set up a pin and then a charge with the Despoiler Squad, and now the Despoiler Squad is gaining quite a lot of extra utility. It's a really, really appetizing possibility if you ask me. Now, both of these squads can benefit from support characters. Uh, I've already mentioned apothecaries, and especially if you're getting uh, larger numbers of these squads and you're planning on camping them at objectives, or you know they're gonna get stuck in right away, an apothecary is a great choice, giving you that base five plus feel no pain up to a four plus feel no pain if you're standing near an objective. That's fantastic. There are other uh, characters that would be really, really helpful. A chaplain 
um, not necessarily super well kitted out, would do well in a large Legion to Spoiler Squad. Chaplains have an ability that give they give hatred and allow reroll of misses uh, in combat. And so rerolling all those extra attacks that you're going to get in that Despoiler Squad, pretty good. Uh, tactical Squad, similarly, I mean, you could put other you know supporting characters in there as well. I don't think it would be worth it to give them uh, plus one ballistic skill, like with a, a you know a Master of Signals or something to that effect. But there are ways to buff them and make them more uh, more dangerous. I really think tactical squads are less an aggressive option, probably for most legions, and more of a here we are standing on this spot, come and get us. Whereas the spoiler squads, again, depending on your legion, are probably going to form the backbone of what it is that you're trying to do. Either of these squads could be used in almost any legion. And as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about in, in just a little bit here how you know you can exchange them in a lot of different ways. But some legions really favor probably one over the other. So we're going to talk about a legion that might really enjoy the use of despoilers this edition. Uh, that would be the World Eaters, the 12th Legion. Uh, the Berserkers, the World Eaters are crazy, bloodthirsty madmen, and their love of close combat has been preserved for this edition with their rules and uh, some of the other stuff that they do. So, uh, the Legionis Astartes World Eater trait is named Violence Incarnate, and it says any turn in which a unit with this special rule makes a successful charge, it gains plus one attack for the remainder of that turn in addition to any other bonuses, even if that charge is considered a disordered charge. So in most normal situations, a world leader unit that charges does not gain one attack from charging, they gain two attacks. So they're doubling that charge bonus. It becomes really important for them to charge. Next, we're going to talk about their rights of war. We're going to talk about how we might build some despoilers into a Berserker Assault. Now, the effects of the Berserker Assault, there's five of them, and then there's a couple of limitations. First off, all units composed entirely of models of the Legionis Astartes World Eaters Special Rule in this detachment, using the right of war, gain plus two inches to the distance moved while running. So they're going to have an easier time scooting across the board uh, in trying to set up those charges. Uh, regular Marines move seven inches this edition, and a plus two to that distance, for despoilers at least, means you move seven and you can run six, which is awesome. They're going to get going really fast, probably run that first turn, unless they've got something that's an easy charge. Next thing is that all units composed entirely of models with this rule gain a bonus of plus two to all charge rolls made for them. Now, you still can't make a charge roll or attempt a charge roll outside of 12 inches, but that's not really going to matter. Uh, your option or your choice isn't going to matter here in a second. A plus two bonus is huge. And so again, that's really going to help them get into close combat, which 100% is where they are supposed to be. All units composed entirely of models with the Legionis Astartes World Eater Special Rule in a detachment gain a plus one to their leadership to a maximum of 10 when making pinning tests. Now, I love this rule as well. This is very good for them because pinning is going to be really effective and really important this edition, and having a little bit of extra defense against that pin is going to be really important because otherwise you're probably looking at a lot of big squads that are just standing around, you know, not doing what they should be doing and getting shot at. Uh, second to last, Rampager squads, which we'll talk about in a minute. They can be taken as troop choices in a detachment using this right of war, but it's important to note they do not gain the line ability, so they are not scoring troops. And lastly, but sure not least, 
Legion Predator Squadrons may be taken as fast attack choices in a detachment using this right of war. I love this a lot. And I like the fact that basically what this is going to allow you to do is gain free heavy support uh, if you are interested in it. So you can take, well, we'll talk about it here. You can take quite a lot of troops and then you can take essentially extra uh, tanks if you want to support those troops with a bunch of tanks. Now there are some limitations. One of those is that all units in a detachment using this right of war must declare a charge in any of the controlling player's assault phases where there is at least one model from any enemy unit within 12 inches and line of sight of a selected unit as part of the detachment using this right of war and must always target the closest unit if possible. This charge may not initiate a multiple combat. So the first time I read this, I was curious about this, but then I went and checked the multiple combat rule. Um, the multiple combat rule, it basically says you can't, uh, well, these guys, what they can't do is a couple things. One is you can make a multiple combat if, let's say, two squads were sitting right next to each other and you had the opportunity to charge both. Now, that could be beneficial for a couple of reasons. It could tie up those squads and prevent them from shooting next turn, a couple different things. And at first thought, I thought this was a strange debuff to place on the world leaders. However, uh, if you were a smart player and this restriction or this exception was not put in, you could take one squad and throw it out in front of your army and make the world eater's entire army basically within 12 inches charge your one unit, basically preventing them from trying to position or get closer to the rest of your models. So as one of my friends put it, you know, this way the first squad uh, moves in and is going to charge that unit, um, but the, the squads afterwards are like, well, somebody's already killing those guys. Let's go find some new guys to kill. So that's really great. Um, and an army with this detachment may not use an allied detachment. That makes sense. The kind of slaughter that the world leaders are going to get up to, then nobody wants to hang around and watch that. Okay. So the next thing to talk about for the world eaters is going to be this rule, Savage Fervor. And it states that any model with the Legionus Astartes World Eater special rule and has a chain sword can exchange that chain sword for a chain axe at no additional cost in points. A chain sword and a chain axe, there's only one difference between the two of them. They both are close combat weapons, and you're going to gain an additional attack for having a pistol. They both have shreds, so you're rerolling failed wounds. The difference is that a chain axe gives the user plus one strength. This is a huge deal. Uh, on most of the things that you're going to be attacking, especially with a despoiler squad, they're almost always going to have toughness four. And so going from a four up to wound to a three up to wound, re-rollable, dramatically increases your likely, the likelihood of a successful wound and then, of course, an armor save. So this is going to change a couple things. Um, you're going to take this free upgrade on all of your despoiler squads because it is just too good to pass up. So let's say you were going to build a Berserker Assault and you were gonna play World Leaders and you were looking at these Despoiler Squads and wondering what exactly you were gonna do with them. So I've put together an, a, a sample starter for a list. I'm gonna walk through that here to talk about how you might build the core of that. Okay, so a standard 10-man squad of Despoilers is 100 points. For the first example, we're going to leave them at 10 models. We're not going to add any additional models. We're going to take the option for one, the 1 in 5 option for special weapons. And for 10 points, we are going to add two either power weapons or charnable sabers or weapons as you choose for flavor. 
which takes us up to 110 points. The next thing that we are going to do, just for variety, is we are going to add uh, Artificer Armor to our Sergeant, and then we are going to give our Artificer uh, Sergeant a Power Fist. So they're going to be striking last, but they're going to be double strength, and they'll have an option to slap around some, try to slap some Terminators, um, yeah, some Terminators, or also some Dreadnoughts around, and they'll just be a little bit more effective. Now, we are also going to buy a Rhino for this 10-man squad, and that will cost 70 points because, well, yeah, the Rhino actually costs 35, but we are going to give it a Dozer Blade so that it can reroll dangerous terrain te tests, and we're going to give it a, a Multi-Melta for 30 points because it's worth it. And that will put the overall cost at this squad to 205 points. This uh, 10 guys will be in a Rhino so they can, the first turn, scoot out as fast as possible to try to get to fringe objectives or to position for charges uh, their next turn if possible. But you have to be careful, of course, because... Uh, a rhino is not an assault vehicle. So there will be a turn where they get out of the thing and they can't necessarily charge. But taking one, or as in this example, two of these squads might not be a bad idea just so you've got an option to get on objectives right away. Okay, now the bigger bulk of your fellas are going to be in 15-man squads in this example. So we're going to spend 100 points for 10 basic marines. We're gonna add five more Marines to the squad for a total of 15, that costs us 50 points, so now we're at 150 points. Then, because we have 15 Marines, we're gonna spend 15 points, because it's five points per extra, uh, and we're gonna add three more special weapons, whether that is, like I said, power uh, axes, power swords, power mauls, or turnable weapons. Then, we are going to add, again, the 25 points for a for a sergeant to have artificer armor and a weapon. In this case, I've budgeted for a power fist as well, but you can mix it up and do something different. Now, this big squad is gonna run, and they have that extra option to run extra fast because of the right of war, so they're, they're gonna make it to where they need to go, but they're gonna spend a lot of more time exposed. So what we're gonna do is we're going to give them a an apothecary. Now, it's 55 points. Well, okay, an apothecary is 45 points. I think you're probably going to want to give them the Artificer Armor to take their save up to 2+, plus because you want them to survive as much as possible, because they are going to give you a huge buff of an additional, you know, a 5-plus feel no pain. Now, because you're a World Eater, you have a unique option to give uh, your characters or independent characters um, special weapons, special gladiator weapons. Now... You don't have to do this, of course, but if I'm a World Leaders player, absolutely I'm giving that Apothecary some special gladiator weapons. It's too cool not to. Now, no matter what you choose, it's 15 points to give them the Kadir weapons. I'm probably mispronouncing that, and there's probably several World Leaders players who are groaning, but I'm sorry. I'm going to give this guy a phalax, a set of phalax blades, though. So this Apothecary is going to have uh, plus one strength, they are specialist weapons, but there's two of them because you get two phalanx blades, so you get an additional attack. They're only AP5, but they've got rending 4+, plus, which means on a wound roll of a 4 or higher, it strikes at AP2 and actually can technically even cut up vehicles, which is a little weird. Now, the other cool thing about this one is that it does have Duelist's Edge on the phalanx blades, so if my Apothecary gets into a challenge, my Apothecary strikes at Initiative 5, which is pretty awesome. 
So all of that, all told, with the phalanx blade, the extra weapons, my 15 guys plus of an apothecary is 260 points. So let's go ahead and say that I'm going to double that up as well. This is going to give me a total of 30, 40, 50 marines on the board. 20 of them are going to be in two different rhinos. I have two multi-meltas. I've got a lot of line troops that can run around the board and try to score different objectives. Well, there's other cool things that I want too. Um, rampagers, which are special gladiators that get access to, by basics, all of those uh, special weapons, the meteor hammers, whatever. I'm going to mix and match that to do something cool, but uh, 10 rampagers with jump packs as an option comes out to a very expensive 390 points. But if you can take 10 super gladiators with two wounds and jump them around the field murdering opponents, shouldn't you do that? I think so. So we're going to go ahead and do that. We're going to add 390 points. Then on top of that, we're going to exploit the special thing given to us by this uh, right of war. And we are going to take a couple of predator squadrons. Now, I was looking at the different weapons that you can add onto a predator and because I just, for no other reason than basically that I like it, uh, I'm going to take uh, the plasma uh, main gun option. I'm going to take two uh, land, or not land raiders, I'm sorry, two predators squadron together, and they're both going to have plasma turrets, and they're both going to have Volkite sponsons, and that's going to run 270 points. And because if one of something is good, two of it's better, I'm going to double that up. I'm going to have two squadrons of two uh, identical rhinos, just be, or not identical predators, just because. And if you don't like the plasma, the 25 point bonus, uh, or 25 points, you can swap it out to something else. You could have one group, which is just all Volkite, which is also really cool. Um, and it's the same cost. Now, this little list right here that I've put together, it's going to give you a total of 60 marines on the table um and honestly you should probably have an apothecary with that rampager squad but you're gonna have 60 marines on the table to uh, go around and mess things up um, 50 of them are scoring units and you're gonna have four tanks here which can be used to take out infantry or ping smaller vehicles and that is going to come to about 1910 points um, now it's going to go up a little bit because I did add retroactively here in my math and because I forgot to mention it, all of those squads are going to have a Vexilla, which is the special upgrade that adds plus one to their combat resolution and also, uh, prevents them from running away too much if that comes up because I've got big squads on the board and if they're holding objectives, I don't need them running away or I don't want them running away very far. So I think that 10 points per those squads is well worth it. Now, if the standard game is meant to be played at 3,000 points, which it is, this gives you a little bit less than 1,100 points to work with and buy whatever else you want. Now, there's no uh, HQs in this yet, so you will definitely have to find an HQ. You could also add some light support in the form of land speeders or something. Um, but the other thing, too, is you could add a whole bunch of heavy support and just have a bunch of tanks. I honestly really want to paint up a World Eater's Kratos tank um, because... While a lot of people, when you think of world leaders, you just think of an unbelievable amount of bodies running across the field. I like that idea too, but I also like the idea of having Big Choom painted in that white and blue and blood caked gore. So that's the start of my list. Now this doesn't mean that you couldn't add some just regular tactical marines to your world leaders list. I think you could totally do that. I think that's a totally valid, uh, valid choice. 
But the Despoiler Squad does have certain synergies that I think are cheaper and more effective for what you're trying to do. The biggest thing is that world leaders get to swap out those chain swords for chain axes. So getting the troop choice that has that chain sword stock is kind of a simple choice in my opinion. Now, uh, the next thing to think about is you could um, try to really further uh, utilize that Despoiler Squad, and I'm thinking of the Spite of the Legion rule to get even more attacks on the charge. Let's say you were to look at adding a Recon Squad to your, uh, to your army. Recon Marines can be given Nemesis Bolters, and Nemesis Bolters can be used to uh, cause pinning checks and, and make units become pinned. Now, again, Spite of the Legion triggers on a pin, which gives an additional attack. So if you have a large Despoiler Squad charging a pinned unit, well, you're already getting a plus one for the charge. You're getting an additional plus one for being a world leader. And now you're going to get an additional attack because of Spite of the Legion. So every one of your Marines is getting three attacks extra on the charge. Good luck and Godspeed to whoever is being charged by that kind of attack because they will not be there when the dice settle. Now, as mentioned, uh, tactical marines can be used in every single legion. And I don't think, with, with specialist legions like the world leaders being the exception maybe, I think almost every other legion, you could just think about painting up some basic tacticals. I don't think it would be a bad idea to have a couple of tactical squads. Uh, most legions don't have the kind of synergy with their troop choice directly like the world leaders seem to. So it's not as clear of a choice. But regardless, let's talk about the Tactical Marines. So I'm going to put the Tactical Marines into a Legion, uh, Legion Right of War the where they could really be used. And who better to talk about with Tactical Squads than the true defenders of Terra at the Siege of Terrors, Terra, the bulwark of defense. I am, of course, talking about the White Scars. Okay, so full confession... I have been uh, a big fan of the White Scars since I read the book Scars and Path of Heaven, and I played White Scars quite a bit in Heresy 1.0, and I really, really enjoyed it. I've got a nice, uh, I think it's a, it's a very complete Chigorian Brotherhood collection. I can field quite a few different variations of my list. I love the jet bikes, I love the, the culture described in the books, and I love the style. That being said, I'm not going to talk about jet bikes today, which is the standard way that you expect to play White Scars. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to talk about something else. I'm going to talk about the Sagyar Mazan special right of war, which is just as unique and different and just awesomely opposed in concept and style to the White Scars Chigorian Brotherhood, which for me makes it super interesting how you could have both and the more I talk about it, the more I realize I'm talking myself into buying this as well. But, you know, we'll get there when we get there. Um, the Sagyar Mazan is a very special right of war. So I'm going to read the rules for the right of war and then explain why it is so fluffy and thematic for the White Scars. Um, the first bullet point here for the Sagyar Mazan, the Eben Keshig cohorts, which are their special uh, terminators, may be taken as troop choices in a detachment using this right of war. Second, all units composed entirely of models with the infantry unit type in the detachment using this right of war must be given both the Koresh and the Feel No Pain 5 plus special rules. Which is really interesting the way they've worded that because it's like, no, you have to take Feel No Pain 5 plus, which, okay, if you're going to make me. Uh, lastly, 
all models with both the Legionis Astartes white scars rule and the Koresh special rules in an attachment using this right of war gain fearless for the duration of any assault phase in which they successfully charge. The first turn of combat, if you charge, you are fearless. Okay? Now, limitations. An army in which any detachment using this right of war may not choose to place any units into reserve, such as being unable to deep strike, subterranean assault, or flanking assault. And a detachment using this right of war may not include any heavy support that are not composed entirely of models with the infantry unit type or any fortification or Primarch, regardless of the unit type. Okay, this is really funny to me because the White Scars, and I wasn't going to talk about bikes, but now I'm going to talk about bikes. The Chagorian Brotherhood is the other Legionis Astartes White Scars right of war. And both of their rights of war have huge limitations on heavy support. In Chagorian Brotherhood, you have to have a uh, flyer subtype. And in Sagarmazan, it has to be infantry subtype. What's funny to me is that in the current rules, there's exactly one heavy support choice with infantry, which is a uh, heavy support squad. So just dudes carrying big guns. And there's exactly one flying heavy support, which is a fire raptor. So if you're going to play the special rules or the special rights of war for white scars, buy those two things and you're good to go. So it's just sort of an interesting limitation. So now I want to give a little bit of an explanation about why this is so uh, lore appropriate, but um, because I am going to be spoiling some stuff from the novel specifically, and it's not stuff that it, it's worth it's worth avoiding the spoiler on. I think I'm going to leave a note in the show notes um, about where you can skip to after this point so that you don't hear any spoilers. Okay, that was good enough. Pause. So uh, at the end of the novel Scars, the White Scars have a, a small mini uh, revolt within their own group. A small small group uh, wants to side with Horus, and so they try to take over the Legion, and they try to prevent the Primarch from coming back to the flagship. And it almost works, uh, if not for some, the sacrifice of a couple of key, key, key characters. The end result is that all of the people who were involved in the coup, who were not deemed as so corrupted um, that they like anyone who's not spared who is spared just immediate execution is is basically told to grab some stuff grab some gear strip off your uh, legion markers head out into the void and fight traitors until you die and that's the Sagyarmazan so having heard that bit of lore welcome back for those of you who chose to do that that explains why this feel no pain is so, uh, it makes so much sense because these guys are all out there and literally it is their purpose to die. And so they are fighting as hard as they can to redeem whatever honor that they can. Now on top of the feel no pain rule, they also gained the Koresh rule, which before this was a rule that only the Eben Keshig themselves had. No enemy player may ever score any victory points for the destruction of a unit with this special rule, regardless of the scenario played or any victory conditions in effect. In addition, a model with this special rule may not join any unit that is not composed entirely of models that also have the Koresh special rule, nor may a model that does not have the Koresh special rule join a unit that includes any models with that special rule. Okay, so this is like bitter duty on steroids. The right of war gives that rule to all infantry units 
in the detachment. But you can never, your opponent can never get victory points from killing any of your infantry. That is nuts. And on top of that, they're so much harder to kill because they have a native 5 plus feel no pain. So your tactical squads, your despoiler squads, without an apothecary, if they're on an objective, have a 4 plus feel no pain. That's absolutely nuts. It's bonkers. Now, how are we going to build a list around this concept? Because of the situation uh, in the lore that I talked about and the way that the Sagiarmazan were created and sent out to the galaxy, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on tactical squads because basic marines seems like the way to go in building this right of war. That's what would have been available and sent out. It's not like the Sagiarmazan were going to be issued a bunch of really, really super rare um, gear, probably. So the core of this list is going to be regular tactical marines. And we're going to do the same thing that I did with the world leaders list, at least as far as the breakdown of unit sizes, just, just to show you the value or the purpose of, you know, of each. So we're presuming uh, two squads of 10 and then two squads of 15. Now, the Sagyarmazan, if I was actually making this list, I would actually vary these sizes a little bit. I would keep the 10-man squads, but the larger squads, some of the squads I would have 15, some of them I would have 16 and 17, just because of the way the Sagyarmazan come up, and they don't really get reinforcements. So some squads, some squads are going to be smaller than others, and some squads are going to be larger as different squads fold into each other because of attrition and whatever else. But regardless... For now, 10 and 15. So a 10-man squad is going to be, as before, 100 points. For the bigger squads, we are going to add, uh, we're going to add 15, or 5 more. So for a total of 150. And then we're going to add 25 points for the sergeant, roughly. And then we're going to take a look at uh, what to add as far as close combat options. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about these guys you are getting a free apothecary. So for this squad, and I'm going to recommend it just for this squad, and maybe others, but definitely here, I don't see a reason not to take the five-point additional upgrade for those chain swords. So we are looking at a 1,000 points on the nose, well, 1,080 when you add in the Vexillas, uh, for... Two squads of 15 with chain swords and the sergeants as kitted out before, and then two squads of 10 with chain swords and the rhinos as kitted out before. Then, after that, we're going to include at least one squad of five Eben Keshig, and you could maybe bump that up to a higher number if you so wished, but just because the, that unit is iconic and I think it just looks good. So, right now, with just those Marines, you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, well, you've got, a, you've got a solid base here, and you've got a lot of models and a lot of tactical marines, which again, I think, is what the Sigyarmazan would be dealing with, based upon the story of their creation. Now, one of the things that I think would be cool for this list, in the story, they largely uh, end up replacing weapons and gear from the enemies that they fight. And this is probably true for a lot of late heresy forces, but for this uh, army in specific, I'm going to take those squads and i'm going to mix up their armors like quite a bit my squad might look might very clearly have started off as mark six armor but i'm going to mix up the shoulder pads where i can i'm going to see about swapping out arms if possible here and there so that it looks like all of my squads have been cobbled together after the fact 
just trying to stay together and surviving. Uh, that being said, you know, I'm looking at here, and this is a much smaller uh, explanation of forces. You're looking at about 1,200, maybe 1,400 points of a 3,000-point list. You've got a lot of options to add to it, but it's going to need to mostly be infantry, and you're going to want it to be mostly infantry. Um, I haven't really put a lot of thought into how this list would play, uh, because, but the, the possibilities are pretty staggering, and it seems like a really tough list to beat, just because... You know, if your opponent takes out your squads, they're really not getting much for it. Um, it's a fun, flavorful ride of war. It really ties directly to the the fluff, and I absolutely love that. And uh, I think I've talked myself into buying, like, uh, a bunch of tactical marines or converting old stuff that's in the basement somewhere and maybe making this list for myself. So once again, I'd like to thank you all uh, for your support. Um, but... Uh, I also would like to remind everyone that if you have questions, if you have comments, things you'd like to see in the podcast, uh, the email is in the show notes, but it's ineptusastartus30k at gmail.com. Please reach out. I would love to get more feedback from people. Um, and from that email, um, I've gotten a couple of questions that I'm going to answer here at the end. This will be a recurring session or a recurring feature on the podcast. This this has already gotten a lot longer than I guess I thought it would be. So I'm just going to keep it short. We're just going to ask, uh, answer two questions today. The first question is, uh, I, was looking at, I was looking at the book, and it seems like some of the gear costs different amounts for different units. Is that correct? Why is that? I think is, yes, what this, this question meant. Um, so for example... It, just today we were talking about the price of chain swords uh, and how it was different in different things or like you know uh, different weapon options uh, are, are similar in a lot of ways but maybe different subtly so one of the things is that war gear upgrades can cost different amounts because of what you are having to give up to replace it so for example if a if a model has, for example, a chainsword already stock and wants to upgrade it to a heavy chainsword, well, you're already giving up a shred and an extra attack. So the rules designers think, well, yeah, plus two strength is great, but is it worth, you know, 10 points more if you've already got this thing? Well, so they said no, and that's why it's only two points for a despoiler marine to take a heavy chainsword. However, a flat out extra attack with shred is probably, at least as far as the rules designers are concerned, worth five points per model on a tactical marine. Now, we get to decide for ourselves as players if that five points, which might be worth it for the rule, is not only is it worth it, but also do we care? Do we want that extra point investiture? Because we maybe rather spend our points someplace else. Um, same thing goes with like the way certain weapons might cost. I think a power fist is standard like 15 points for a sergeant, but it's going to be more for a praetor. Well, a praetor is a leader who has more attacks, and so there's more chance for that power fist to do things, and so it's valued at more. So that's why you see some of that different cost and points um, for those different things. It's just what they want, not only like what the designers want the models to be equipped with because of the feel and the fluff, but also the overall impact that those different things have on the game. The last question, um, I'm gonna answer this as I think it was meant to be sent. What's the best Legion to start? So there's a couple different ways to, 
to think about this question. Um, if the question is, what's the strongest Legion? Well, they're all going to be very strong. Um, they're all going to have different things that they do better and different builds that they will be successful with or not. Now, if the question is, what's the best to start with for a new player to Horus Heresy? Um, any of the Legions that have pretty straightforward uh, traits, like Legionis Astartes traits, are pretty basic and good ones to start with, I think. Now, today I talked about the World Leaders. The World Leaders get a native uh, plus one to attack when charging, and the design of their legion is pretty pretty direct. Like, you know what you're going to do. You want a fair amount of bodies running across the field. Now, seasoned players, and, and I know quite a few seasoned uh, World Leaders players, they still do a lot of really interesting uh, things with their lists, and they have different variety, and they... They, you know, they still dig into the lore and create really specific looks at that legion. But uh, World Leaders is a good choice to get into if you're starting fresh. Um, I would actually, almost all of them, I would say, are, are just fine to get started with if you're, if you're really just dipping your toe in. But I would just be careful about some of the legions have rules that are a little bit more complicated to start with. Um, the Ultramarines, the Alpha Legion, the Thousand Suns are three that I can think of off the top of my head that I think have Legion traits that are really cool, but also potentially really, um, they might be frustrating to try to get the most out of to start with. Now, I like to look at that as a cool opportunity, because what that means is I think that both of these Legions um, are going to have like extra high skill caps so that players can really get a lot out of really digging into what they do and to putting it to good use. So that's awesome. I, th I think that's great because it allows for more opportunity for growth and whatever else. But that's not to say that world leaders don't have a lot of places to go with it. It's just that their rights of war maybe don't have the, uh, the, the endless options that some others do. Like I believe the Alpha Legion, uh, I haven't looked at these rules much, but like they, they basically can just take a unit from another, from another Legion. And like that, there's so many choices there. So like you really get to think about what you want to do and that freedom in creation of your list is really exciting but it also could be you know death by choice you know like paralysis paralysis of options so i think do whatever you want because honestly like you're going to sit down and you're going to build this list and you're going to paint these models for a long time you know what the best legion is to start the one you like the best the one that looks the best the one that's fluff and lore uh, resonates with you the most, right? That's the most important thing in Horus Heresy. We we typically don't really keep track of victories or you know win percentages or whatever else, although that's probably on its way. But regardless, like build what you like best. Do you think the Sons of Horus Green looks awesome? I do too. Go for it, man. Okay, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, don't forget to send an email. Uh, to ineptusastartus30k.com if you have questions, comments, or whatever. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to, in particular, thank um, anyone and welcome anyone who's coming over from 2 Plus Tough uh, on YouTube. Uh, I'd like to thank Doug for giving me a chance to be interviewed on his YouTube channel. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there is going to be a link in the show notes as well to an interview in which I talked to a, uh, a, a guy a great guy named Doug who does fantastic Age of Sigmar content. And I'm going to do hopefully a series of videos with him talking about 
building and getting into Horus Heresy. So check that out as well, and uh, hopefully have more content for you all soon. Take care.